Adame, this child is gifted. And I heard that enough that I started to believe it. If you have the opportunity, not a perfect opportunity, and you don't take it, you may never have another chance. It all was so clear. It, it was just like the picture started to form itself. There was no way in which a lie could prevail over the truth. Darkness over light, death over life. Every day I wake up and decide, today I'm going to love my life. Decide. My advice is, if they're going to break your leg once when you go in that place, stay out of there. <laughs> and then along come these differential experiences that you don't look for, you don't plan for, but boy, you better not miss them. This is What It Takes, a podcast about passion, vision, and perseverance. I'm Alice Winkler. Every episode of What It Takes features a revealing conversation with someone who has literally changed the world. Whether it's Rosa Parks, Steve Jobs, Jonas Salk, Jane Goodall, or today's guest, Johnny Cash. Their stories are unique, but all of them are inspiring. And after all, it's the Academy of Achievement's mission to show you don't need to be a superhero to make a difference. Listen to the wisdom in these interviews, and you'll learn what it takes. Here we go. Well, you wonder why I always dress in black. Why you never see bright colors on my back. And why does my appearance seem to have a somber tone? Well, there's a reason for the things that I have on. I wear the black for the poor and the beaten down. Hard scrabble farmers, homeless drifters, and men behind bars. These are the people Johnny Cash wrote and sang about for 40-plus years. He lent his entirely original canyon of a voice to the lonesome and the lost, the dispossessed and the disillusioned. In 1993, Gail Eichenthal sat down to talk with Johnny Cash. It was 10 years before his death. The first time I knew what I wanted to do with my life was when I was about four years old. I was listening to an old Victrola playing a railroad song. The song was called Hobo Bill's Last Ride. Hobo Bill, a railroad bum, was fighting for his life. And I thought that was the most wonderful, amazing thing that I'd ever seen, that you could take this piece of wax and music would come out of that box. From that day on, I wanted to sing on the radio. Hobo Johnny Cash's musical dreams took root on a cotton farm in rural Arkansas during the darkest days of the Depression. But it wasn't just Jimmy Rogers or the other singers coming out of the family's radio that inspired him. I grew up in the 40s, and I heard all these great speeches like Winston Churchill. His uh, most famous or infamous, uh, infamous commencement exercise speech was never, 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 never give up. And then somebody else said, every day in every way I'm getting better and better. I didn't especially believe that about myself, but I said it every day and I made myself believe it and it worked. But I never, I persevered. I never gave up my dream to, quote, sing on the radio. And um, that dream came true in 1955. Tell us uh, how that dream came true. What, who gave you your first big break? 
Sam Phillips at Sun Records. There was a, a label called Sun Records in Memphis that was pretty hot with Elvis Presley and uh, two or three uh, locally well-known country acts and some black uh, blues and gospel singers. And uh, when I got out of the Air Force, I went and knocked on that door and was turned away. I called back for an interview three or four times, was turned away. So one morning, I found out what time the man went to work. I went down with my guitar and sat on his steps until he got there. And uh, when he got there, I introduced myself, and he said, you're the one that's been calling. I said, yep. Yeah. You know, I had to take the chance he was either going to let me come in or he was going to run me off, turn me down again. But uh, evidently, he woke up on the right side of bed that morning. He said, come on in, let's listen. So he did. He said, come back tomorrow and bring some musicians. So I went down to a garage where I worked, where my brother Roy worked, and met and was introduced to two musicians down there. Brought them back to the studio, and the next day was our first session. We recorded and, and released the songs that were recorded the second day. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. Did you ever sense back sitting on Sam Phillips' doorstep that you would one day be a household word? No, no, I had no idea. Even when my first record was released, I, two or three days later, I heard it played over uh, Shreveport, Louisiana radio station, and I thought, that's too far away, that doesn't make any difference, that doesn't matter. You know, it's too far away from Memphis. It was, it was a couple of months before I realized that the whole world was out there available, you know. Did you have trouble um, dealing with success when it, when it came? Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? I had a lot of trouble dealing with success. I think it would have, it was harder for me to handle than failure would have been. Um, I don't know, probably was. Yeah, I had a hard time dealing with it. Uh, I lived a simple life, and, and life on the road as an entertainer is anything but simple. Yeah, I had my ups and downs. This is well documented. His ups and downs included drug abuse and alcoholism. Johnny Cash asked not to talk about those periods of his life during this interview with Gail Eichenthal. He was doing well sitting next to his wife and musical partner, June Carter Cash, and he preferred to stay in the light. But what he was happy to talk about was how he learned to move beyond his mistakes, starting with a book he read when he was 12 years old about an Indian boy named Lone Bull. Lone Bull tried to go out and kill a buffalo. He slipped out of the village against his father's wishes and went out. It was going to be a hero so his family and the other people could have meat. Uh, the elders of the, of the village knew about the buffalo herd out there. They knew it was there. And they were making plans to cut into the herd and cut off some buffalo and kill them and have meat for the whole winter and into the next spring. Lone Bull wanted to be a hero. He went out with his bow and arrow and killed a calf and ran the herd off. He drug his, his calf home. His family was fed, but they were ostracized. And um, Lone Bull became a wanderer 
until he found a village that would take him in. And in that next village that he was taken in, he organized the buffalo hunt that winter. And he had more meat than this village had ever had before. So I learned from my mistakes. I think it's probably the best way, and it's a very painful way to learn, but you build on it. You build on failure. You use it as a stepping stone. Uh, you don't close the door on, on the past. You don't try to forget the mistakes, but you don't dwell on it. You don't let it have any of your energy or any of your time or any of your space. You know, you analyze it as you're moving forward and uh, never fall in the same trap twice, which uh, I can't say that I haven't been guilty of doing. But my advice is don't. If they're going to break your leg once when you go in that place, stay out of there. <laughs> so... Uh, Lone Bull's philosophy was, I'm kicked out of this village, but I will grow up and I'll come into another one and I will do what I set out to do, and that was feed the people. So I'm feeding my people right now. From the hands it came down, from the side it came down, from the feet it came down and ran to the ground. Between heaven and hell, a teardrop fell in the deep crimson dew. The tree of life grew. And the blood gave life to the branches of the tree. And the blood was the price that set the captives free. And the numbers that came through the fire and the flood clung to the tree and were redeemed by the blood. As a songwriter, um, do you rely a lot on your instinct? Uh, songwriting is a very strange thing, so far as I'm concerned. It's not something that I can say, next Tuesday morning I'm going to sit down and write songs. I can't do that. Can't, no way. If I say I'm going to the country and take a walk in the woods next Tuesday, then the probability is next Tuesday night I might can write a song. You know, creative people have to be fed from the divine source. I do. I have to get fed. I have to get filled up in order to pour out. I really have to. What feeds you? God and uh, inspiring people. In, uh, in, my, in my little world there in northeast Arkansas on the cotton farm, it was my brother Jack. He was kind of my inspiration, but he was, and he was two years older than I, and he was killed at the age of 14. I always wanted to be like him. And throughout the year, he was a, he was a strong person. He was a Bible student. Um, he was in perfect shape physically. I always wanted to be like him. And when he died, um, my best friend was still my mother, and she always encouraged me to do to sing. Matter of fact, she, we were very poor and she took in washing, washing from the school teachers, washed their clothes to make money to give me singing lessons, voice lessons. After about three lessons, the voice teacher said, don't take voice lessons, do it your way. And she said, you're a song stylist. And um, from the age of 12, I, I didn't forget that. But that was the way I had to do it because, you know, it was the way it was with me. I had to do it my way. I, I couldn't reach those notes singing those uh, great songs like a lot of those singers could, but I could do it my way and it, the way it felt good to me. And that's what music is all about, emotion. 
So. Uh, you didn't mention a father was. What my father I... was uh, a man of love. He he always loved me to death. He we worked hard in the fields, but my my father never hit me. Never. Uh, I don't ever remember a really cross, unkind word from my father. He was a he was a good, strong man. Provided for his family. That was his sole purpose in life when I was growing up. Was there a, a teacher that particularly inspired you? Um, did school mean something in your in your career? Yeah, I graduated from high school in 1950 in a little town in Arkansas. Actually, it was the biggest what they call cooperative school in the state. There were for a small country town. There were 1,100 students in the school, and. Uh, I graduated as the vice president of my class. I wasn't all that high scholastically because I was writing a lot of poems and stories and songs at the time that I should have been studying more. But school was really important for me and I was so disappointed in myself that I didn't make really good grades in math. But in all the other subjects I did very well. But it was school was really important to me. My parents uh, my mother had a, and father, I think, they had an eighth grade education, which was adequate for what they did, did with their lives then. But they wanted me, and they drilled in me. I had to graduate from high school. College was another hope that was almost unattainable for, for a cotton farm boy. There was no money for college, so I joined the Air Force. Korean War was breaking out, and I joined the Air Force. You know, I probably had the equivalent of college in the, the roads I've traveled since then, but it'd be great to go from, be able to look back on it, it would have been great to go from high school right into college to study music, literature. Going back to the beginning of your career and, and Sam Phillips, um, what do you think he saw in you that made him take that chance and go with you and and, and cut a record? What was he attracted to? I think Sam Phillips saw the originality in my difference. He heard uh, something that was different, not, not necessarily something that was good or exceptional or even good, but different. You know, it's like a, a novelist writing far out things. You know, if it it makes a point, makes sense, then people like to read that, you know, but if it gets off into left field and goes over the edge, you lose it. Same with um, uh, musical talent, I think. If you can hold your listener, hold their attention, and sure you know what you're doing, and know that you're communicating, you know, performance is communicating. You gotta communicate, if you got a song you're singing from your gut, you want that audience to feel it in their gut. And you got to make them think that you're one of them sitting out there with them, too. How do you do that? I don't know. I don't know how you do that. You just, I just know when I'm doing it, and I know if I'm not doing it. And after 38 years' experience, I uh, pretty well know if it's going to work or not, usually. I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling around a bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when I'm stuck in Folsom Prison And time keeps dragging on But that train keeps rolling On down to San Antonio When I was just a baby My mama told me, son 
Always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. When I hear that whistle blowing, I hang my head and cry. That conversation with Johnny Cash was recorded in 1993. You can hear more from Johnny Cash at the Academy of Achievement's website, achievement.org. There are so many tremendous interviews in the collection with musicians and writers, scientists and entrepreneurs, world leaders and great thinkers. So when you need another dose of inspiration, come find us. This is What It Takes. I'm Alice Winkler. I bet there's rich folks eating from a fancy dining car. They're probably drinking coffee and smoking big cigars. Well, I know I had it coming. I know I can't be free. But those people keep a moving, and that's what tortures me. Funding for What It Takes is made possible by the Catherine B. Reynolds Foundation.